Welcome to the Hub Dialogues, a podcast that celebrates big thinkers and bold ideas. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of the Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on the issues driving the public conversation. On the Hub Dialogues, you'll hear Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, in conversation with some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers about the issues and ideas that they're passionate about and that they think we should spend more time focusing on. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Gornowski Gluskin Charitable Foundation and the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Charitable Foundation. Enjoy this Hub Dialogue. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at at The Hub. I'm honored to be back in conversation with award-winning journalist and best-selling author Amanda Lang for another installment of our bi-weekly video and podcast series on the key issues concerning Canadian business, economics, and public policy. In today's episode, our 14th this year, we'll look back on an eventful 2023 that started with the Bank of Canada's eighth interest rate hike in less than a year and ended with the sense that its rate hikes may finally be over. And of course, there was a lot that happened in the interim. We'll try to cover as much of it as we can as we look back a bit and look forward into 2024. Amanda, thanks as always for joining me. Great to be with you. I started with interest rate hikes, which took the Bank of Canada's benchmark rate to its highest level since 2001. Are interest rate hikes the biggest economic story of the year in your mind? I mean, I think they're certainly a close cousin. I would say affordability um, is the economic story of the year that I think that the Canadians would kind of agree was the big issue. And then the tentacles of affordability um, are so many and varied, including that, you know, even as we go along here and macroeconomically, things look pretty good. Um, you know, economists can sit around and point to all the data that uh, that is working and it's all moving in the right direction. And yet we still, as you and I have talked about, have real humans saying, I don't feel good. Um, And they don't feel good because prices haven't come down. They're still at this elevated level. And every time we go to the grocery store or the pump or anywhere, we're at this new higher level. Um, And so affordability to me is the single biggest story. And it may well help shape what happens, of course, uh, in in the next year as well. Another major story is that we managed to avoid a recession. Is that something that you would have predicted? And if not, how do you explain it? I mean, I'm not sure I would have predicted one way or the other, but if, I, if I'm going to be called on things, um, I think we would say I, I probably would have thought we would have seen a, um, a, a, a more of a recession than we have seen in the sense that we've seen an economic slowdown. Uh, we've seen just enough of an economic slowdown. I've been surprised. I don't know about you, but not just in Canada, but maybe especially the U.S., the extent to which um, that consumer is just continuing to spend and be willing to, to, to stay um, at the table. And that's going to make a big difference. It's certainly in that market making a huge difference. The thing, of course, that we're focused on now in Canada are some of these, again, does this go to how people really feel and what they're really going to do with their own pocketbooks? I don't know. But business investment has been abysmal. Uh, and that will catch up with us. Um, there's really some important investment decisions businesses need to be making right now, especially on the technology front. We're not making them. That does come home to roost. Um, and so all of that to me does point to the kind of slowdown we expected, that businesses are feeling a little less confident. Um, and it did show up in the data. It looks, boy, it sure does look at this moment as you and I speak as though Tiff Macklem and the Bank of Canada have managed to pull off that feat that um, that looked so hard about a year ago, which was raise rates just enough to cool us down, not so much to cause a recession, get inflation under control, but avoid a bad uh, a bad economic downturn. 
but I'm one who says don't do not celebrate early because you if you spike this ball early you forfeit the game I mean, there's just no question that we could mess this up still and i'm super nervous about people saying rates are coming down including jerome powell the chair of the u.s federal reserve um i wish he'd sit on his hands a little bit because if we all act like rates are coming down they're not coming down it's just a kind of a, a self-fulfilling problem yeah, as you say, Amanda, the difference between an economic slowdown and an actual recession probably matters more for economists than it does for ordinary Canadians, especially since, as we discussed last time we spoke, the principal reason we didn't find ourselves in a recession is because of some revisions to second quarter GDP estimate. The one thing I've been thinking a lot about since our last conversation, which I'd encourage people to to check out, we we talked about some of the issues we've already discussed here today, namely the growing divide between the macro numbers and what Canadians are telling us, either in confidence figures or even in the way that they are planning to spend over the holidays. The thing that I've been wondering about, though, is it would be super cool, Amanda, to see someone produce 2023 economic numbers accounting for normal trends with respect to immigration levels. Like one wonders how much of the fact that we avoided a recession in 2023 is principally because the government of Canada has run an ahistorical immigration policy for the past 12 months. And in fact, for the past couple of years, I'm not making a judgment about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing per se, at least at least as it relates to the GDP numbers, but it does speak to how manipulatable GDP figures can be and why and may explain that gap between the numbers and people's sediments. I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think, I mean, it's the per capita GDP that we started to pay attention to because, of course, it was declining. Um, it does matter. We're we're still growing the overall economy, but uh, everybody's share of it is shrinking. Um, and of course, then you can get into that um, probably worthy conversation. And boy, I assume there are smart people doing this inside the hallways of government. I always assume there's a bunch of smart people having these conversations somewhere. Don't tell me I'm wrong, please, um, about how there is an investment period uh, and that ultimately the payoff is the economy grows and it grows on a per capita basis as well. In other words, immigration is good for everybody. It's good for the economy. History bears that out. Um, immigrants tend to be more productive. They tend to self-select um, and contribute. But there's a period of time when they adjust, they have to adjust, right? They're not working immediately. Um, and, and there may well be people who come with uh, an immigrant who is working, who are not working and need to adapt. There's all kinds of factors. Ultimately, I think it's good, but I think you've actually hit on a point that if we're looking ahead into kind of what the, the political hotspots might be and the place that the place that I think we should pay attention as Canadians, uh, we don't want to be drawn into the a, a negative discourse around immigration. And that's not you and I have talked about this. That does not mean we shouldn't have conversations we can have in the safety of our pro-immigrant status, which we have. Canadians have the bona fides. We are pro-immigrant. We believe in it. We're good at it. Um, we, in this, inside that kind of zone, we can have conversations about what, how much is too much and what's the right amount. That's not anti-immigrant and we shouldn't be afraid to have those chats. Yeah, well said. It was something I was going to raise later in the conversation, but if I was stepping back and looking beyond issues like affordability, inflation, slow growth, and I had to say what I thought maybe the biggest political economy or political issue this year might be. I, I think I would put on the table 
emerging questions about immigration policy. For a long time, immigration policy almost seemed to be on something resembling autopilot. It just kept going up and up and up. And and of course, there's a broad political consensus in favor of that direction. But you're starting to see, not merely in the fringes, Amanda, but you know, a lot of people who look at the numbers, either at a macro level or a micro level, people on the ground who are managed, who are supporting immigrants through the, the settlement and integration process, starting to raise questions about whether we're reaching a, a point of diminishing returns when we're up approaching half a million per year in our permanent residence stream, and much higher than that when you account for non-permanent residents. Uh, Mikhail Scuderud, um, the University of Waterloo economist who we've been fortunate enough to have on Hub Dialogues a couple of times, has been doing some work, uh, Amanda, on what he describes as almost the optimal level of annual intake. Because if you think about it this way, using the point system, which helps to ensure not just that people can make a, a good, a useful contribution to the country, but also that they, as importantly, they themselves are well positioned to succeed in the country based on skills, language, etc. As the annual intake goes up, one of the consequences you you risk just going lower in terms of scores with respect to the point system itself. So I think this question of what's the optimal level and how do we make sure, as we've talked about so many times on this show, that we have the right infrastructure and supports and 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 ways to ensure that people when they get here succeed. I think those will those questions started to emerge in a serious way in 2023 and probably will continue into 2024. What's your kind of thoughts or reaction to that? I think you're 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 totally right about that. I think I mean it's really interesting. Um, again, like, you know, I'm glad that people are looking at this from an almost academic point of view of optimal size, optimal um, intake rate. We have the data. Let's look at you know that for a business, right? It's there's no point in growing your top line if you lose more money on every dollar. Um, at some point, there's a sweet spot, uh, and that's complicated. I would throw one other thing into the mix, and it, to me, it's important that as this becomes politicized, and that's what's happening, it's becoming a politicized issue, which means it will be abused, right? Um, I, I want the conversations to be had now, again, in the context of we tend to be pro-immigrant because there's not a soul in this country saving our indigenous peoples who are not that. So we, uh, you know, we we tend to kind of have the mentality, we get it, we're on board. There's another, you know, we can talk about housing, we can talk social services, we can talk about jobs. Let's not forget culture. Uh, and boy, have I ever touched the third rail there, right? Have I ever ventured into, but because we're a nation of uh, almost an intellectual construct, we're an idea, we're, a, we're on paper, right? We're, we're maybe we're the, the our constitution, our bill of rights, maybe we're, I don't know what Canada is, but we better know what we are. Because when you uh, when you're growing the population by a million a year, um, you better have an understanding of what you're asking of people and what the trade offs are. Uh, and you know, I, I throw that down there, saying that that sentence, Sean, could be picked up and carried off in directions I would be horrified by. Uh, so I, I'm allowing for that, but I'm also saying as a as a Canadian citizen who wants to continue to live in the country where we believe in. Uh, in rights and free speech and the values that we would hold. Let's at least know what those values are. Let's at least know what we stand for. Uh, so however we have to do that. And so I would say to my fellow Canadians, let's throw down the gauntlet and say to politicians, don't make this ugly. If you make this ugly, that's not our values. So now we've lost, now we've definitely lost the plot because what are, what on earth are we asking people to sign on for if we've started out on the wrong foot? So it's, I, I don't have the answer to it, but I would say I watch it. I think it's a it's a worthwhile part of the conversation. It's a tricky one, 
But let's not shy away from it. The Canadians who believe in immigration, who want it, um, we do need to have a sense of what does integration look like? Uh, and what do we mean by that? And what do we want from it? And I think it's we should be safe to do that. It's just it's so thoughtful, Amanda. I, I would just say, bringing it back to business and, and, and economics, that if you talk to a lot of CEOs or Canadian business executives, they'll tell you that pluralism and tolerance are actually comparative advantages for Canada. It's not merely that it makes us feel good or that it's good for social cohesion. Uh, nationally, they, they would argue it's actually good for Canada's economy. And pluralism and tolerance will only endure if we're prepared to confront some of those very issues and questions you raise. So I'm so glad that you you did. I want to take up something you, you mentioned earlier, though. As we look into 2024, what's your sense about Canada's growth prospects? Even if we manage to avoid a recession, should listeners and viewers anticipate slow growth, including the possibility of negative growth in a quarter or two even? Yeah, I think we I think if that's in the cards, I think we um, and it's worth remembering, of course, it's so easy to be distracted by the that shiny economy to the south. Um, our growth is slower. Uh, we tend to be happy with two and a half percent. That's not enough. It's that's that's just, you know, especially if you're targeting inflation at two percent, you can do the math on that. Um, so we do need to kind of figure out. And to me, actually, it's interesting. You've some of the friends of the hub, um, including people like Livio de Matteo, um, you know, there, there is actually really good academic research on how important growth is. And if politicians and policymakers have one agenda, it should be growth, uh, because it is, of course, the way to make everybody better off, to have more, to have uh, abundance. And we ha we are flawed in that respect. We're, we're happy with slow growth. We accept it. Um, our businesses are complacent. Uh, we're probably anti-competitive in ways that inhibit growth. Uh, I'll throw back in by the way, that folks who, who know about these things will tell you that our a big source of entrepreneurship is immigrants. So that's one super big strength on the, on the uh, business side. But I, I think, yeah, we're going to head into this kind of malaise period unless, you know, policies can change it, though. We, this, is, this is in our control. Um, and I just hope that's the biggest focus for, um, for policymakers because it makes everybody, of course, better off. Yeah, well said. I think there's a tendency, especially in this century, with all of the claims about secular stagnation and so on, for there to be almost a sense of limited agency on the part of Canadians, business leaders or policymakers to change the direction. And, and as you say, we actually have a greater agency than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. What do you say to those who argue somewhat counterintuitively that a recession may actually be better for the economy to the extent that it reduces inflation pressures and sets the stage for earlier rate cuts? I mean, uh, I would say you're saying that if you think you're not the one whose business is going under or you're going to lose your job. Um, it's, you know, uh, on, on paper, I suppose you could argue, I would say on paper, a big washout in housing might be a healthy thing. A big washout for the zombie businesses that litter our industrial landscape might be a good thing. But in practice, it's painful. And of course, people will go to great lengths um, to avoid it from a policy mechanism point of view. So uh, I think. Just enough of a recession. This is, I'll go back to, you know, why we shouldn't be saying rates are coming down and when and we should because we don't want people planting that seed in their head and saying, OK, I only have to get to April. I'm just going to bridge over this period. I'm going to take on debt that I could pay off later. We are in a new normal. To your point, growth may be lower. Interest rates may reset just at this higher level. Let's say, you know, 
375 is where just south of 4% is where that overnight rate is going to sit for years. I don't know if that's true, but let's just say that's a possibility. Uh, that's different for a lot of people and businesses. And I, I'd prefer people adjusted to that and then got a pleasant surprise to the upside if it went lower uh, rather than expecting some you know, gift uh, in lower rates uh, that, that's coming. So yeah, I mean, a recession at least keeps our minds focused, um, but they're We've had a lot of job layoffs, actually, quietly, right? People have lost their jobs, um, tens of thousands of Canadians, and the market is still, you know, reasonably robust, but we're not talking about the tight market we were at the start of this year. That's been a big shift. The Hub has the perfect holiday gift for the thinking person in your life. That's right. You can give the gift of The Hub. Hub gifties get all kinds of great benefits, including a one-size-fits-all luxury twill hub baseball cap to sport their hubbiness this holiday. You get access for your giftie to Hub Form, our daily email newsletter and discussion group, complimentary access for the giftie to all our live events, and special offers on events, books, and Hub merchandise. Grab your Hub gift subscription right now at our website, www.thehub.ca. Simply click on the join button, scroll to the bottom of our membership page, follow the instructions, and we'll give you 20% off right now on this gift offer. Simply input the promo code subscribe20 at checkout. Give the gift of the Hub this holiday season. In preparation for our conversation today, Amanda, I went back and checked out our 13 previous episodes. I mean, we covered a lot of stuff this year. Some of the topics we've already talked about, inflation, affordability, housing, growth, immigration. We also spent a lot of time talking about competition, climate change, you know, the list goes on and on. Why don't you just talk a bit about some of the other issues in your mind that define 2023 from a business or economics point of view? I mean, I think one of the biggest is the one that you you actually identified and highlighted, which is the disconnect between uh, how individuals are experiencing the economy and how kind of policymakers are are feeling about the economy. And there's a couple of places that that has showed up for me. You know, markets, of course, can can be markets like stock markets uh, can be disconnected from what feel like the kind of real economic events of the day. Uh, you know, one example of that, of course, would be. You know, one of the big stories of the year was Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, his his crypto uh, exchange going down. Huge fraud. Um, maybe a highlight for people that this is a murky part of the market. Uh, buyer beware. And yet, you know, within a month, Bitcoin, uh, which is you know sort of the bizarrest of of all of the ways to play in that market, uh, is that uh, is hitting not quite all time highs, but heading back up to levels where people are still believers. I, I do feel as though we've kind of skated by some, you know, a couple of small U.S. banks failed in the spring. Um, and it was a reminder that even the smartest people who manage our money don't realize that situations can change and they should prepare for that. Uh, and yet we've kind of skated past that and we're on the other side of it. I, I guess memories are short and I wish people would, um, all of us would would just remember uh, that these things happen, they can happen again. And just to kind of pr- factor it in a little bit more than we are, we seem so willing to just kind of skate past it as though it never happened. Yeah, you're talking about disconnects there, Amanda. It strikes me that one of the biggest disconnects in 2023 is between Canadian businesses and policymakers, but between the Trudeau government's activist policies and Pierre Polyev's 
populism, and including his refusal to meet with CEOs, it does feel like the relationship between the two, that is business and government, has become wider than it has in a long time. Is that your sense too? And what do you think the consequences are? Yeah, I mean, it's, and I, you know, you mentioned Pierre Poilievre. I mean, he's, he's unashamedly saying he doesn't want to meet, he told the Bay Street crowd, I don't like to be seen with you folks. Um, which it, to me was shocking because it, there has been that disconnect, but that a politician actually feels it's expedient to say so. In other words, now we've got to the point where you want to be seen to be anti-business, not just be quietly anti-business, is um, an un- unpleasant new chapter. Uh, and one of the things we have going on in this country that's terrible is uh, when we are all anti-business, which we tend to be, we tend to think business is bad, fewer people want to do it. So we have a decline in entrepreneurs. Um, we we make our big successful companies feel uh, like culprits. They've done something wrong. The more, gosh, the more money they have, the more they must have done something. They've gotten up to something bad. Um, now, to be fair, some of them are in industries that are protected and have not enough competition, but that's not their fault. They're they're living in the regulatory environment we've handed them, and then they're doing what they're supposed to do. That anti-business mentality slows us all down. It keeps our kids from wanting to go into business. Um, it makes it harder for them to get money. It makes them harder for them to feel good about what they're doing. Uh, so for politicians, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. It's It's been true for a long time that there can be politicians can be sort of a little bit wary and uh, they're not quite as close as you might think they should be. For them to openly say, I don't want to be seen with you folks is a shocking stage of this problem. And I, I we have to reverse it. We, I mean, I would vote for a politician who stood up and said, if you're out there starting a business, it's profitable, you employ people, you're my hero. That's what else, you know, that's, that, that's what a politician is here to do. Back to the growth story, governments don't grow things. They just don't. Uh, governments can facilitate, um, but businesses grow things. And that's what, if you wanna make a bigger economy, you need businesses to do it. So. I don't know what, what you think this, if you were back in the policy chair, how you would fix this. But I do feel like this one, this is an alarming trend. Yeah, I, I agree. And as you say, it, 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 this hasn't happened overnight. It's been a an evolution, but it does feel like in 2023, it, it's gone to a new level where we have politicians using the bully pulpit to essentially extract different actions or choices out of business under the threat of regulation on one hand. And on the other hand, as you say, our center-right party, the party that's in theory more predisposed to markets, essentially either saying it won't meet business or in some cases actually, you know, shifting to the left of the government on certain things. For instance, Pierre Polyev was quick earlier this year to call on the Trudeau government to block a corporate transaction involving tech, the resource company based in Vancouver. So there is something funny going on you know, I tend to think that politicians follow the public. They don't necessarily lead the public. And so they're discerning that this anti-business sentiment permeates the Canadian population, or at least the voters that they're trying to ultimately attract. But I think there is something kind of inherently unhealthy about it. And it needs some adjustment. I mean, it's fair to say, Amanda, that the coziness between business and government, say, in the 1980s or something, you know, that that probably needed some correction. But it, it does feel like in the past several years, we've kind of overcorrected. And not only I think is that bad for the culture, as you talked about, I think it's bad for the bottom line, too, if we have businesses increasingly making judgments, not motivated by return on investment or, or profits, but by how they interpret politicians might react in, in Ottawa. I mean, that is a bad recipe for our economy. 
I, I agree. I mean, I think we need a bit of a reframing. Maybe this is all part of a, an evolution. It's interesting when you say politicians uh, follow, they don't lead. Um, and I, you know more about that than uh, than I do. Boy, I wish it was the opposite. I mean, I do, I do wish uh, we could, we could, and I, I, I'm nostalgic for the past. Maybe every, maybe that's just the way it is. But I feel as though we have had leaders in this country who were willing to say what were seen to be unpopular things and persuade a populace that it was, uh, it was there was a good argument there. Um, and to me, that is one of the reasons to be in public office. And if you're there, please use your pulpit wisely. Uh, you know, it's, you shouldn't just be putting a wet finger to the wind. Uh, I, I really wish people would uh, would think about where we're going because these are some big issues, and you know, the general population doesn't always know the right answer. I have to ask you, in addition to the various topics we've been discussing, are there any sleeper issues? Are there any ones that you think, in hindsight, the two of us missed in these conversations? I don't. I don't know that there were. I mean, I th- feel like er, er, this year was actually kind of an obvious year for the big stories. Um, I do feel like affordability was this kind of the single biggest story for Canadians. Um, I, and as I said, I think it'll continue to be. Um, I, I, I don't. I really feel like this conversation would be incomplete if we didn't mention Taylor Swift somewhere. But uh, that's the. That's really the only issue I would say took some of us by surprise. Um, the you know the success of that. Um, that artist and that tour, uh, which continues. But no, I think the other issues we, you know, we covered them and they were clear. Um, and that's a good thing, actually. I think I don't think they're right. And I don't want. What do you think? There's anything that we should have spent more time on? Because to me, actually, you were the one who really underscored last time we talked that you know how people feel versus how they're being told to feel, uh, and the and the the gap between those two things. That's a big to me. That is the story, and that may well define what happens in 2024 as well. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Unintentionally, Amanda, one theme in this conversation has proven to be the idea of of disconnects or or growing gaps between how people feel and the broader and the, the broader economic narrative, um, the relationship between business and government, and so on. Uh, another that I've been thinking about in, in in recent weeks, and in a way was reflected in my question, is the possible disconnect between those working in the private sector and those working in the public sector. And and where I think that may come to a head as we move into 2024 is with respect to work from home policy that uh, you're in Toronto, you're much closer to Bay Street than I am. But my sense is that the private sector is increasingly kind of moving in a direction when it comes to workplace arrangements that more closely resembles pre-pandemic experience than the immediate post-pandemic experience. And if that hypothesis or if that interpretation is right, it is not being reflected in the public sector where, you know, I was in Ottawa last month, the practice of work from home remains prevalent across the, the federal government for sure. And so one wonders if these different workplace arrangements between those working in business and those working in government Maybe a, a, a story as we close out 2023 that really kind of rises to the fore of labor relations in 2024. I, I would add to that. Uh, I think you're right. That public-private sector um, divide. Let's add wages to the mix too, because the really big wage gains have been um, union-driven. Uh, so that's that does capture some private sector employees for sure, auto auto workers included. Uh, but a lot of public sector workers will see wage gains that um, I wonder what you know we've seen in the private sector side, you know, catch up to so four four and a half percent, um, certainly better than we've seen in the past. 
but uh, we may well see a big adjustment in that if we see in, right inflation coming down. That may be it for a lot of people. Whereas union uh, wage contracts are multi-year and they're locked in for the next you know three years uh, of increases. That could be a big divide we see ahead as well. You mentioned Taylor Swift. Be remiss if I didn't ask about Elon Musk. What are we to make of his 2023 and his place, not just in in our economic life these days, but increasingly in our cultural and political life? Well, actually, I would offer up that Elon Musk is the antithesis of Taylor Swift uh, in every single way. Uh, I think Elon Musk is a, a fascinating force. Um, one that you know history will judge just how malevolent a force um, he is. There's some there's some evidence that he's not everything he does is uh, is going to be good for the broader public. It certainly hasn't been particularly good for the business called um, called X now. Uh, as we've seen, there's been a real damage to the brand and to uh, to ad revenues. Um, and yet, you know, this is the this is the man who popularized the electric vehicle in a way that uh, wasn't happening at any kind of speed. Uh, we give him his due. He may be a genius. Um, I just am not persuaded he's a force for good in the world. And, I, and X is really as unimportant as it is in some ways. It is, of course, um, hugely important in how people perceive one another and share ideas. Um, and that's been I think that that's done some damage uh, socially, if I can put it that way. It's been a tumultuous tenure as the owner of the company, a company I would just say, for better or for worse, I think will loom even larger in 2024 as we head into a U.S. presidential cycle that I think will play out in a lot of ways on social media in an unprecedented way, if one can even believe that, which maybe is a good way to wrap up our conversation today. What do you look ahead for in 2024? Well, I'm so if I'm optimistic, um, then Azamal wants us to be uh, your producer, so I will be. Uh, I think we may well see the backside of inflation and recession fears. So uh, while I don't want people to rush this fence, um, you know that's we we should be be able to get to inflation that is closer to where the central bank wants it, rates that can settle in somewhere where we can have solid expectations, and then be able to focus on how to grow the economy. Um, within a way that doesn't risk, you know, undoing that good work. Uh, but I think that's a back half of 2024 story. I think that's a, a second, third quarter, maybe even fourth quarter story. I don't think that's, you know, the new year. I think we're still in this fight. It's not over yet. And we should not uh, rush through it. I would echo those views. And I think we're, for my reaction to what you said, and as we look ahead to 2024, I get the sense that we're going to see a bit of unreliable policymaking in our politics. We have a government in Ottawa that finds itself in a difficult political position. I think the Ontario government similarly finds itself in a tough political spot, kind of marred by scandal, a new, you know, seemingly attractive alternative for the first time in a long time in a Liberal Party leader. I think as these governments face these political challenges, we're going to see policymaking not necessarily rooted in the evidence as you like to like to see, Amanda, but throwing a lot of things against the wall. I think that will have consequences in terms of spending and, and the likelihood that we see larger as opposed to smaller deficits and probably some negative trends in terms of that business government relationship that we were talking about as politicians look to score cheap points in the short term and maybe at the expense of the long term. So I suppose that's my glasses half empty take on your glasses half full take, which is why it's so good to be able to to be with you. I just want to thank you personally for all of these conversations over 2024 or 2023. Rather, I learned a ton. You have such a great 
mind and perspective and, and set of experiences and insights. So thank you so much. And I look forward to doing this again early in the new year. Happy holidays to you and, and happy holidays. And thank you so much to our listeners and viewers. It's been a great year and look forward to taking this back up early in the new one. Thanks so much, Sean. I love talking to you. And um, yeah, thanks to everybody who's with us for all of this. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Hub Dialogues, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on the issues driving the public conversation. Please share this episode of Hub Dialogues with friends and family and leave us a review wherever you get your audio online. You can also go to our website, www.thehub.ca, to sign up for our free weekly newsletter featuring the best of The Hub's journalism and commentary. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the executive director of The Hub. The host of today's program was Sean Spear, the Hub's editor-at-large. This episode was produced by Amal Atter Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation and the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolovsky Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.